good to see you guys today. I want to welcome those of you joining us uh, online uh, here at the, uh, maybe at a, uh, one of the venues here, Long Point Chapel Warehouse or one of our online campuses or online around the world. Also want to welcome, uh, uh, shout out to Gloria Garcia and the Seacoast Church at Oak Crest in Fallbrook, California. Uh, House Church has been going for several years and you guys are awesome, and we want to welcome you uh, today, too. Also want to mention a couple of brand new churches. We plant churches. That's what we do. We're almost up to 700 churches in the last 15 years. And here's the two latest ones. Colorado Church is starting today in Denver, Colorado. How do you know? They need more churches in Denver, Colorado. Actually, you don't know that, but I do, because Denver's a hard place to start churches. It really is. Uh, they come and they go there. Uh, Leo and Norma Davis at Love Alive Church in Orange Park, which I believe is in the Orlando area. So if you know anybody in those areas looking for a life-giving church, you can tell them there was one that started in their neighborhood today. So let me ask you a question. Before I do, isn't this a great day? It is beautiful. Some days it's easier to get up than others. How of you know that? And today was one of those great days. So now let me ask you the question. If I was to ask you, who or what has been the biggest influence in your life journey? Who or what would you say? Biggest influence, biggest influence. What comes to mind? You might think about a parent. My dad, big influence on me, my dad and mom. Dad is uh, living with us now, actually in the barn next door. Some people were born in a barn. I put my dad in a barn. <laughs> your parents uh, probably influence your self-image more than any Anybody else for the good or for the bad? You might say a spouse influenced me. If you came to the marriage retreat, you're already saying to your spouse, oh, you're the greatest influence in my life. You're scoring points. Awesome for you. <laughs> Probably not true, but it's good. It's good to say that. Uh, your kids influence, influence uh, some choices that you make. If you have kids, how many of you who have kids in the home don't do things now that you used to do then because of the influence of your kids. Friends are an influence. Would you agree with that? They influence the choices that you make. Sometimes it's, um, you know, society, fashion, styles. Remember this? It's a mullet. Who was the first guy that thought that was really cool? I don't know. Whatever. I thought that'd be a lot funnier than it was, but it <laughs> apparently isn't. Um, personal experiences influence you. You know, when you have a loss, major influence, a, a breakthrough, a gain, or whatever. Let me tell you what mine is. Let me tell you what mine is. Greatest influence in my life is the local church. You say, well, you should say that. You're a pastor. No, I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me. I am a pastor because of the influence. I don't say that because I'm a pastor. Church, the greatest influence in my life. In fact... Uh, even before I was born, it set the course of my life. I, I've told the story before, won't spend a lot of time on it, but before my grandfather came to know Jesus, the Surratts, my branch of the Surratts, were not good people. We occupied some of the best jails in the Southwest. We assassinated one of the greatest presidents the United States ever known, Abraham Lincoln. Um, just, a, just a, in fact, I have some great-grandparents that my I never met, because my dad said, you just don't need to know those kind of people. And my grandfather was a bootlegger. He was a gunfighter. He was an outlaw. And two little ladies, 
came to their town in western Illinois, or Oklahoma and, uh, and started a church and prayed for my grandfather. My grandfather committed his life to Christ. He became the first of his family. And through his influence, in fact, I was reading a statistic this week that said, if a father is the first that commits his life to Christ, there's a 93% chance that his entire family will come to know him. If a mother, not putting mothers down, but I think it's about a 15% chance. That's the impact of a man, the impact of a father who steps up and says, I'll follow Christ. And, and today there are in excess of 40 full-time uh, vocational pastors speaking to hundreds of thousands of people all around the world today uh, because my grandfather made a commitment to Christ that changed the course of my family. And then I grew up in a church. Uh, my dad was a traveling evangelist. Those are like almost dinosaurs these days. They don't exist so much. But back in the day, my dad was a traveling evangelist. He would preach in, uh, in a city for maybe a week or if it went real well, he'd preach for two weeks and sometimes three weeks and we traveled with them and we'd go to church every night, every night, every night. We'd hear those same sermons every, every, that's why guest speakers are so good is because they preach the same thing over and over and over again. Trust me, I know that, I guess speak out. But anyway, so I grew up like that. I grew up going to church every night. Uh, my mother was a saint, God rest her soul. She would bring, you know, we didn't have kids' church. The churches we went to didn't have kids' church. So the kids sat on pews. You, you remember those? Hard, I don't know whose idea those were either. Uh, hard, you know, benches. And mom would keep us entertained. She had a whole purse full of stuff to keep us entertained. One night in a, in a, a meeting somewhere, uh, my sister was sick or something. And, and uh, so I was there by myself. Uh, on the second row, about four or five years old, dad's preaching. I mean, he's going at and dad, I mean, he sweats and he's exciting, you know. And, and uh, I was acting up and he snatched me up by my neck and he administered church discipline right there in front of the whole church. We believed in, corp he believed in corporal punishment. And I mean, he wore my behind out, sat me down, did not miss a lick and people got saved that night. It was just an amazing thing. I remember that. It's burned into my memory. Um, when we settled down, when dad became a pastor, small Pentecostal church, we lived in the basement of the church. And not just in a, like an apartment, we lived in Sunday school rooms where that they would uh, clean all our stuff up and put it in a closet on the weekend. That was my experience in church. I met my friends in church to, to this day. My closest friends, I've met them in church. I found God in the church. You know, many of you have too, and many of you, it's that order. You met friends in the church, and then you found God because these days, honestly, people often convert to community before they convert to Christ. It's okay. Grew my faith in the church. I found my wife in the church. I found my purpose in the church. I buried my loved ones, my mother and others in the church. I went through tragedies in our life with the help of the church, learn to make a difference in the church. I love the church. Church has changed my life. How many of you would agree with that statement? Maybe you haven't had the experience that I have, but the church has changed your life. Anybody, anybody else here? And I, I know that we started Seacoast Church uh, almost 29 years ago as this 
as this experiment. We were different. Now there are a lot of churches that do things just, you know, in a, in a similar manner. We were different. It was an experiment. What would church look like if we, if we reached unchurched people? And that was our primary, and, then, and we loved each other, and, and on and on and on, and the church has made a major difference. Now, how do you know there are unique characters in the church? Just look around. <laughs> there are some pretty squirrely people in the church. Would you agree with that? A friend of mine sent me this this week. You know, Noah, do you remember we're in the a Year in the Word and you read Noah? Noah and the Ark and all that, what a mess that was. Well, the, Noah was a picture of a pastor and the Ark was a picture of the church, okay? And so uh, I thought I'd look at that. And so Noah's congregation were all of these animals. And these animals still exist in the church. There are birds in the church, okay? These are picky eaters, Okay? They're reading through the word, and they just only pick out the good stuff. You know, they, you've got the if-then promises. If you'll do this, then this will happen. They only grab the then, okay, picky eaters. Uh, you've actually got snakes in the church. Yeah, those are New England Patriot fans. I, I had to do that. Listen, listen, listen. I had to do that because Josh was so doggone easy on you last week. Were you here? He made Tom Brady a hero, so I had to... I had to do this. There are sheep in the church. Those cuddly animals. The Bible talks about sheep. It's one of the reasons I became a pastor. I just love sheep. The idea of, never been around a sheep before, but the idea of cuddly sheep. There are a lot of cuddly sheep in the church. I love you guys. There are also sheep, sheep that bite. Uh, in fact, there are some rabid sheep in the church, and some of them have a taste for shepherd. Yeah, and... That's not here. That's other churches all around here. And then there are lions in the church. You know what a lion is. That's that predatory. Man, they're loud. They put fear in the hearts of everybody. As a shepherd, you can't feed them by hand. You've got to toss them raw bloody meat and then get out of the way because they're just, they're vicious. And then you've got, you've got giraffes in the church. Okay, their, their head is up in the clouds. And... Uh, they're too, too spiritual to be much earthly good, and occasionally they will bow down and stoop to our level from time to time. These are all people in the church. And so, <laughs> I thought that was fun. So anyway, and so, and so Noah's job was to pastor these people. His, his job was to feed them and keep them alive. And so this week, we're <laughs> that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I thought it was funny. Somebody else gave it to me. So this week, in our reading, um, the writer of the book of Hebrews encourages us to place great value on this thing that we call the church. And today at Seacoast, we gather in 13 different campuses and on the internet around the world, we gather from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different worldviews, just a lot of different life experiences and ways of relating. And today, on the first day of the week, we gather as the church with incredible potential and means of influence. And I want to sell you on the church today. Biggest influence in my life, I want to take a week to talk to you about the church because there is so much potential. In fact, I believe that if you see it with fresh eyes, that the, that, that the church has influenced more people than anything else on the planet. There's more resources here. There's more talent here. There's more potential for good in the local church than in any government, social agency, or institution in the world. 
We believe at Seacoast that the local church is the hope of the world. That's why we plant churches, a portion of every dollar that comes in. And I'm passionate about that. I'm the president of a church planting organization that we started. We started nearly 700 churches. Every weekend we start churches just about. And the reason is, is because I believe every community needs a life-giving church. Would you agree with that? If, if there were more life-giving churches, there would be greater communities. And so I, I don't believe that you change the world through the ballot box, although I vote. I believe that you change the world through an infusion of the life of Jesus Christ. And that's what the church is about, and I'm kind of excited about it, and so I hope that you are by the time we're done. I want to talk to you about why the church matters, and we're going to take a passage that you read this week if you're reading through the year in the Word. And here's the passage. It's Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 23 through 25. Here's what I want to do. I'm a little worked up. I have preached at the marriage retreat. I preached last night. I preached this morning, and I'm going to preach some more before I'm done. I'm not going to read the scripture. You're reading the scripture. Now, we read it out loud together. It's a great opportunity for us to see if we can be in harmony. See, if you're reading ahead of everybody, you're a soloist, and you're not that good. Get back with everybody else. And I tell people when I preach in other places, have them read out loud. I said, do you guys read out loud together here? I said, we read out loud in South Carolina just to prove we know how to read, okay? So here we go. Oh, I'm one of you. Come on. All right. Let us hold... sound. It's so good. It sounds great. Uh, all right, so here we go. Here's the first thing in that scripture. Our hope in Christ is what makes us the church. This is the secret sauce of Seacoast Church right here. It's not music. It's not teaching. It's our hope in Christ. See, nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's the only book in the New Testament that's anonymous. Did, did anybody... But the early church fathers felt like it was inspired, so it's why it's in your Bible today. Anybody have a problem understanding some of Hebrews? Just be honest with me. Did you have a problem with that? Some of you? Okay. Do you know why? Who was Hebrews written to? This is not a trick question. Jews. Okay, Hebrews. And uh, if you, when you read the Old Testament, and you're getting ready to get into the whole tabernacle thing and just hang with it, go through, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, you're going to get into Levitical law and you're not going to understand. You're going to, what's up with that? You know, don't cook a, what, whatever. There's a lot, lot of stuff in there. But if you were Jewish back in the day, you'd understand all of it because it's the law. You studied it, you studied it morning, night, put it, wrap it around your head, teach it to your kids, rabbis. That's what they did for a living was do that. And so Hebrews is written from a New Testament point of view to Jews just explaining who Jesus was. And just saying, you need to understand that Jesus is the center of the Bible. Jesus is the center of everything. He's there in the Old Testament. He's in the New Testament. And, and, and you need to understand who he is. And it warns us to make sure that we put Jesus in the center. 
Now, it's so easy for us to get distracted by all the rules in the Bible that we forget that really we're reading a story. In fact, Sinclair Ferguson said that religion is mainly advice with a little bit of story sprinkled in, but that Christianity is mainly a story with a little bit of advice sprinkled in. So when you're reading your Bible, understand it's a story. It's a story about a God who created everything. He created the mountains in Colorado and North Carolina. He created the oceans and the beaches here in the low country. He created the sun and the moon and the stars and sunsets and sunrises. Did you see the sunrise yesterday? Unbelievable. If you didn't see it personally, you should follow me on Instagram and Facebook because you may go to hell if you're not. And I don't want that to happen. Joke, joke, okay. But I did take a picture of it. It was beautiful. It's majestic. It's awesome. It's the story of that God, but understand that the, that the, the epic creation was not sun, moon, stars, and all that. It was us. We are the purpose of his creation. He created men and women in his image. And the story goes on that we rebelled against a loving God going our own way. And God, rather than just wipe us out, set in motion a cosmic rescue plan by sending Jesus to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we should have died. And then God raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus is the one who began this thing called the church. You cannot say I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. Let me tell you something. You say, I like you, but I can't stand Debbie. You're going to get hurt. Because <laughs> you can't do that. You can't separate us. You can't separate Jesus from the church. He took a bunch of ragtag disciples and told them to go start churches all over the world. That's what we're doing with the ark. We used to take young couples with a passion and vision. We give them a little bit of training and money, and we say, go for it. Let's go do it. See, what makes the church the church is not buildings, although we're going to build one here. We need to. It's a tool. You can't find a seat in this service, as you're aware of, and our city's growing, and so we're going to build a bigger building. But that's not what the church is about. Church is not about programs and outreach either. You go, well, I love all the outreach Seacoast does. I do too, but that's not the church. And frankly, that's not what I get excited about. The church is Jesus. At the core of everything, it's that we all confess Jesus as our only hope in life and in death. Faith in Christ alone and through faith alone is why we are here. It's the secret sauce of Seacoast. Look at this. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. I love that unswervingly. It, it almost seems like holding a, a car uh, steering wheel. Do you remember first learning how to drive? Some of you need some practice. I've watched you. <laughs> but you, you're, you're learning how to drive and, and you white knuckle it and you don't do well. In fact, I've got a four-wheeler, one of these little four-wheelers out at my house. I live in the country now and I have 14 grandkids and they'll come out and I'll pile as many of them as I can get in that four-wheeler. Four, four, four and I tell their moms, hey, we're going to go take a ride. The moms are great with that. But what they don't know, as soon as we get out of sight, I let them drive, okay? And, and, uh, and it's fun to kind of watch them because they'll hold on 
and then they'll get, get their attention span goes somewhere else, and they swerve, and it's like they're going to go in a ditch. And guess what happens? Papa grabs the wheel. Why? Because Papa loves him? No, Papa loves himself. He doesn't want to get hurt. <laughs> when you learn how to drive, the key to learn how to drive is to look not only straight ahead, but not just at the wheel, but out for far, right? This is what he's saying here. He's saying, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because you're going to be tempted to, to swerve. You're going to be tempted to hope in something else, hope in your career, and then something happens in your career and you're devastated. You're going you're to hope in a, in a human being, in a male or female. Look at me, ladies. Look at me. We just had a marriage conference. Look at me. If your hope is in a man, you're going to be disappointed because that's what we do. We try to do our best. But at some point, we disappoint. If your hope is in the government, however you know, you'll be disappointed. If you're a Democrat, you'll blame the Republicans. If you're a Republican, you'll blame the Democrat. If you're the press, you'll blame Trump. It's like everybody's like that. But you will be disappointed. But look at this. Look at this. I love this. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. That's a promise. That's why we're to, we're to hold unswervingly to the hope that we have in Christ. In fact, here's another way of saying it, Hebrews 10, 23, another version. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What is confession? Confession just simply means to agree with. The word means to agree with there. Now, I know that many of us today maybe aren't quite there yet, but, but the hope of our church is that you will confess or agree with God that Jesus is who he said he was. That's what unites us. That's why we're here. It's Jesus. It's easy to enjoy the music, and wow, what incredible music hearing at the campuses. I sit over here during worship, and I just go, where did all this talent come from? If you, or maybe you come and, and hear the practical messages. That's not what the church is about. If you miss having faith in Christ, you're missing everything, because our great opportunity is not only to experience the blessing of being in the church, but to give our lives to the God who created the church. Here's what we're gonna do today. We always try to do something unique every once in a while. And today, at the response time, we have a response time at the end of our message. At our campuses, here everywhere, we're gonna sing the same song. And we're gonna sing a song called I Believe during response time, and it's basically the Apostles' Creed. In other words, it's something that the church has believed since the church began. And in some churches, they recite the Apostles' Creed every week. Maybe you grew up in a church like that. Some churches sing the Apostles' Creed. Well, today, we're gonna sing together the Apostles' Creed and affirm our faith in the creator of the church. And I hope you'll be able to join us, and I hope that it'll be uh, a, a, a profound experience uh, to you. Our faith and hope in Christ is what makes us the church. Here's the second thing in that scripture is our love for each other is what we do in the church. Our love for each other is what we do in the church. Look what it says, next part of the scripture, and let us consider. Now, most of us considered a lot of things before we came to church today. What should I wear? Most of you did a pretty good job on that. Some of you, swing and a miss, but that's all right. We love you. We love you, okay? Some of us considered, should I stop at Starbucks on the way? Or should I 
buy coffee at the church where all the money goes to missions. But there's a long line. Some of us considered, should I scream at my kids on the way to church or on the way home? Some of us considered, where should I park? Where should I sit? There are all kinds of things to consider. But the author of the Hebrews is, allow, is challenging us, this is a challenge, to consider something else. Look at, look at this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, what would it look like if when we're getting ready to come to church on the weekend, that the primary consideration was, what could I do to spur other people in the church on toward love and good deeds? What would happen if we all showed up thinking about who we could help, who we could help love God, who we could help do good things? See, it's so easy to have the wrong trinity in our mind when we come to church. Me, myself, and I, you know, the trinity. But get this, the real trinity is about relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have been together in relationship forever. That's why when you read in Genesis, when it talks about God in the very beginning, it talks about we, it's the we, it's the God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're in relationship. And they, uh, the church is a reflection of the triune God. The Father loves and serves the Son, the Son loves and serves the Father, the Holy Spirit loves and serves uh, both and all, and it's just a relationship. In fact, the whole universe is based on self-giving and other-affirming. That's when you do that, when you find somebody who's just so giving, so giving, and so affirming, you're attracted to that because that's the DNA of the universe. It gets hidden in the culture we live in, in the music that we listen to, but it's who we are at our core. And when we do it, it resonates. And we can come together to give and serve. And when we do that, we stir each other up to do the same. How's that work at Seacoast? Well, it starts in the parking lot. I love coming into the parking lot today here at the Long Point campus. Most campuses do the same thing. What's the first thing you see in the parking lot? You see people in, in yellow jackets just waving you, helping you find a parking place. But that's not their primary purpose. Their primary purpose is to help you feel good when you come onto the lot. We want you to, you're welcome here. We plan for you. I love it when it rains. Some of them love it when it rains. I mean like rains and rains and rains. Some of them are so avid about what they're doing in service. They're going, bring on the rain because that'll help people to know we really love them. We get soaked in helping them in. That's serving and loving one another and provoking to good deeds. Um, a week ago, I was standing out here in the foyer, and a lady who was serving that week in the VIP, just, which is right outside the door there, which is very important people, it's serving newcomers that come, helping them have a good experience at church. Uh, she brought a couple to me that was visiting from a town where I had preached somewhere, and, and they were here and wanted to meet me. And so she brought him over, we met. But what was cool is what happened after that. She's telling them, here's how you can get the most out of service this morning. You can do this, let me help you with this and all that. And I thought, wow. I told Debbie on the way home, I said, that lady represents Christ well. That lady represents you and I, Debbie, because we always are concerned about the larger the church grows, how, how, what's the culture gonna be like? Is it gonna be that same culture as when we started it with a passion and a vision just to love people? How many ever years ago? And I told her, I said, that lady represents us. 
She represents the culture of this church. She spurred me to greater love and acts of service. There's a special needs family that drives 45 minutes every weekend just to be here because they have two special needs kids and because we have a special needs ministry, it's the only way they can go to church. I thought about that and I thought, you know, those that serve in the special needs area are expressing their love to them and it happens over and over and over again. I love this, this picture of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 27. It says, if all of you together are Christ's body and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it, if you're at Seacoast in the campus or here today, it's easy to say, it's such a big church. What do I matter? In fact, some of you are here because of that. You want to just chill. You felt like you worked so hard in your last church, and sometimes you need rest. But you know what? The Bible says you are a separate and necessary piece. Well, how can that be in such a big church like this? Have you ever done a jigsaw puzzle? Anybody ever done one of those? Because you need more frustration in your life. Take up golf or jigsaw puzzles. And so you get this, those huge ones that have little bitty pieces and just huge, and you finally get it put together, and there's a couple of pieces missing. And you look at it, and what do you see? The missing holes. Do you know what? That's what God sees when he looks down on the church, even a large church like this. And everybody isn't like fitting together and everybody's not serving with their gifts. You are a, you're a body. In fact, he says, even the smallest parts of the body are necessary. Have you ever stubbed a toe, and a little toe, and figured out how important a little toe was? <laughs> I have a buddy who cut off his thumb. He's a builder. He cut off part of his thumb. He didn't think his thumb was important. Now he can't even give a two thumbs up, you know? <laughs> Don't tell Ray I said that. <laughs> Listen, chances are somebody around you needs what you have to offer today. You have no idea what the people around you in your little neighborhood there that you're sitting in. You have no idea. People come, people come with very, there are people that have lost loved ones this week. There are people that are facing unbelievable things. I know I walked out of the bullpen, which is what we call our green room, just right over here. And, and uh, I was getting ready to come into one of the services and, a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, I just happened to see somebody. I said, hey, how, how you doing? Recognize her. And when I said, how you doing? I could tell the look in her eye was not good. And then I remembered, she's having surgery this week. Somebody told me that. And I told her, I said, you know what? Debbie and I are praying for her, which we did. Now, what are the odds of a church of 15,000 people who I don't know a fraction of your names, but I walked out at just the right time and saw somebody that I knew, and the Lord spoke to me to say, how you doing, and we're praying for you. And I could see in her eyes just a sense of peace light up. And you go, you know what? That's wonderful, Greg. That's, that's what we pay you for. You're, you're a pastor. And here's what I would say to that. Here's how I explain it in other places. At Seacoast, we're all in full-time ministry, okay? If you're a Christ follower, you're in full-time ministry. I'm in vocational full-time ministry. The only difference between me and you is I'm paid to be good. You're good for nothing, okay? <laughs> and so... <laughs> and so what if? 
What if part of our consideration every week was to go, you know what, God has placed me here. God led me to sit in this seat. I'm gonna pray that I can be a blessing to somebody and who knows, maybe a conversation will spark. Here's how you start a conversation. I'm an introvert, well so am I. But here's what I do. You guys don't believe that, but I am. Here's what I do. I say, uh, how long have you been coming to Seacoast? Several of you have heard me ask that. It's just a leading question to open a conversation. You can do the same thing. And who knows? You know what foyers are for? Foyers are for connecting. They're not just for passing through. They're for connecting. God has placed you here. Now, so, uh, some people serve uh, in, you know, in, in specific ways, but we all need, to, need to, to, to serve one another. So our faith and hope in Christ is what makes us the church. Our love for each other is what we do in the church. Let me give you one more. And that's this. Our meeting together is what keeps us connected to the church. Our meeting together is what keeps us connected to the church. Read this one out loud. Will you do that? And let us... Yeah, let me, let me just say this. Uh, if you read any kind of statistics on the church, you know that church attendance is on the decline generally in America, we'll bet. And I read the Atlantic Journal this week. It said it's hard to go to church, was the name of the article. It said the standard narrative of American religious decline, in other words, it's trying to explain why, goes something like this. A few hundred years ago, European and American intellectuals began doubting the validity of God as an explanatory mechanism for natural life. As science became more explanatory, uh, became more widely accepted method for investigating and understanding the physical world, religion became less viable way of thinking. Not just about medicine and mechanics, but about culture and politics and economics and every other sphere in life. And as the United States became more secular, people slowly began drifting away from faith. You've read that in a lot of places. Problem is, it's not true. False news, not true, not true. Um, yeah, there are people that, that, that fall away from faith, but the truth is there are more people of faith than there ever have been. It's just less people are attending church regularly. If you look at the statistics, I've read all kinds of, that, this article makes that particular case. And attendance is impacted more by logistics than faith. There has been a decline in the last several years of consistency in church attendance. When I was growing up, see if you were like this. When I was growing up, you know, in the church, went to church three times a week, you know, uh, every Sunday, of course, unless you had a temperature of 102. Now, I was raised in a little Pentecostal church. Temperature didn't make any, any difference. They'd just say, come on, church, well, you, you'll get healed here. You know, that, that kind of thing. So you had to have another excuse. Had to be near death in order not to come. <clears throat> and then when you would go on vacation, you'd find a church of a similar denomination, go to, go to church. You went to church every week. How many of you kind of grew up in that or remember that? Okay. Now, um, in the, in the 2000s, it, it changed. Um, they took uh, dips in churches and they found out that the, the average attender who was committed would come about three out of every four weekends a year. These days, when they do the dip, the average is about two out of every four. That's why we'll have 15,000 people on a weekend and holidays, 
We'll have 25,000 people that attend our church. Now, the weekend after Easter or Christmas is always the lowest attended weekend because everybody did their thing the week before. You understand what I'm saying? It's just, it's just kind, of, kind, of, kind of the, way, kind of the way, way, way it is. Now, there is a reality to travel. We travel a lot more these days. And youth sports and the blessing of online church. But here's the fact. The less we attend, the more disconnected we become. Would you agree with that? You don't agree with that. It's true. The less we attend, the more disconnected we become. And, and here's, here's, here's what he says. In another version, it says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. What ha happens is we, we get in habits. And one of the habits we get into is not meeting together because there's so many other things going on in our lives and our lives are full but here's what happens is, is some subtle shifts happen inside of us where we were once really passionate we have a little less passion and, and we begin to we begin to be influenced more by things that used to not influence us as much greed gets a grip or maybe it's lust in your area or maybe it's pride or whatever it happens to be and you struggle with it a little bit more and so you're kind of doing it on your own. And the Bible says don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And yeah, you can do that alone. But it's so, the plan of God is that we come together and we're encouraging each other and we do it as a team sport. See, there's a discipline to regularly coming to church. I look around here, I look at Joel Christie. You guys are here. Just almost every You're a better Christian than I am. <laughs> Amen's me on in this service every time I think about one of the politicians that attends here that made a commitment to 46 weeks out of the year at Seacoast. I told him, you're, you're more committed to that church than I am. Why? He said, because Washington will corrupt me if I don't get really dipped in the local church. There's so many of you that get that. I'm not saying, you know, you gotta come every week, but I'm saying, think about this. Think about this. What are your habits? And, 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 and the word says, don't neglect, don't get in a habit of neglecting the meeting together. See, why the church? Because the church is God's plan. It's plan A. It's why Jesus died. It's how we can learn to love. It's the hope for worldwide transformation. Church is kind of like a gym. In fact, um, the word, whoops, I don't have time to go through all that. It's good stuff, though. The word <laughs> gymnazo, gymnazo. Greek word in the Bible, gymnazo. Guess, guess, what, guess what word we get from it? Gym. It's, it's where you work out, your physical body. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're talking about a little gym that's right around the corner here. I said, I love working out there. I said, why do you? Because you can always find a treadmill, all except for January and the first week of February. After that, you can find a treadmill and work out spiritually. And, and in the church, if you'd see the church as a, a spiritual workout place, it's where we understand the Bible. It's where we learn to worship. It's where we learn to love, learn to manage our money, and learn to raise our kids. Don't get out of the habit. All right, so I'm, I'm done. Let's go back to the first question I asked. Who or what has been the single biggest influence in your life journey to date? 
I hope that one year from now, or two years from now, or five years from now, that the church will rate somewhere close to the top. See, see, some, some, some will, you know, it, it, it impacts generations. I think about you. Every week I think about the people that gather here and the, the powerful potential that there is and that there are gonna be some men and some women who are gonna make commitments here today that's gonna impact generations that haven't even been born because you make a commitment to Christ. And that's what some of you are gonna do. You're gonna make a commitment to the, to the God of hope. It's gonna impact generations you don't even know about. Others of us, we're just gonna look at ourselves and we're gonna say, you know what? I need to take my next step. Maybe your next step is, uh, is, to, is to join the church, come to Inside Track. Others will find opportunities to serve and care and encourage. You know, somebody told me that the church oftentimes is like a football stadium where you've got 22 men in desperate need of rest being cheered on by 80,000 people in desperate need of exercise. That's not right. <laughs> Everybody serves. You say, well, where should I serve? Go through the inside track. They'll plug you in. Or you just figure out. Just start loving people around you. Just go, why am I here? There are people here that need what, what I've got. What if we all took our next step in the church today? Well, we're gonna sing in just a minute. And when we do, and I'm gonna give you some instructions for response time, but I want you to think about the church. I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to make your confession. I agree. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, God the three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for I believe in the name of Jesus which is the name above all other names. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this wonderful church. We believe in you. God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your church. Help us to worship you. God, today, help us to love each other as you want us to love and serve and just give of ourselves. And God, help, help us to take your challenge to make church a priority, the, the gathering together, the meeting together of the church. We take that as, a, as an encouragement today. God, I pray that your kingdom would come and that you would do incredible things through us, your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.